Long ago, the world of kids' television lived in blissful ignorance. Then, everything changed when the Avatar arrived. This took audiences by storm, and even though its episodes were great, it had a lot to prove. But for those watching, they believed it would change the world. Join us as we explore this exceptional series that is Avatar The Last Airbender on this episode of Script or Screen. Well, Zach, thank you uh, for joining me once again. Thank you for having me. <laughs> as, as, as the permanent guest on this series. You're very welcome. Uh, for those who don't know, The Uninitiated, uh, my name is Christopher Kitchen. I am joined always by my co-host, Zach Strackman. Hello. Uh, this is Script or Screen, uh, an entertainment and media podcast uh, on the internet where we talk about any and all things... Uh, Fantastic, uh, such as Avatar: The Last Airbender, and we'll get into that. Um, but Zach, how's your uh, how's your week going? What what have you been up to uh, as of late in this Corona season? Well, in these Rona times, as I call it, um, you know, I've I've been working as best as I can, uh, and uh, I do a lot of writing, uh, as you know, and uh, just trying to uh, trying to find meaning in it all. Um, how about yourself? Um, same kind of, you know, funny situations. I am one of the few uh, whose work has been very, I said one of the few, I, I should say one of the many that whose work has been very much um, displaced because of these things. So it's given me a lot of time to kind of work on the podcast amongst other uh, creative avenues and projects. Um, and actually, it's also given me a lot of free time. Like funny, I was you know how we said last time that our first movie going experience would have been going to see something like Tenet. Uh, my first one is actually going to see this uh, New Mutants movie that just came out, um, the, which was the much delayed, uh, much uh, anticipated New Mutants. Exactly. What was it delayed three times since 2017, 2018 or something? Yeah, I think it's its original release was 2018, and then finally we went to see it. Uh, it was it was a movie, you know. It existed. It was, it, it wasn't unlike my last theater-going experience, which is also for a, a comic movie of sorts, which was actually in March during the beginning of Rona time in, uh, in the good old U.S. of A., uh, where I, uh, my, my girlfriend and I went to see, um, what is this, the Birds of Prey movie? Oh, yeah, okay. So we went and saw that, and it was just us two in the theater. And going to see New Mutants yesterday, what, what is this? It's uh, August 29th as of this recording. Um, so we went and we were two of three people in the movie theater, which was both great and, and, um, also just weird at the same time for like a new movie's release. Um, I wanted to also, uh, take, uh, just a short minute, um, uh, not to, not to bring the mood down, but, um, as of the time of this recording, um, the entertainment world is reeling from the tragic news of, uh, Chadwick Boseman's passing. Oh my. Yeah. Um, you dropped that article on us uh, last night, and I legitimately thought it was it it was a joke because uh, yeah. it, it didn't feel real. Yeah. That after you know, I think I, I mentioned this. Like I I was scrolling through my Facebook feed last night, and um, I came across an article from the website we got this covered dot com, which is one of these you know not 
forefront in terms of entertainment news, but you know, they occasionally they'll post rumors or things like that. And so when they had this, I was like, this, this can't be real. This is, this is fake news yeah, or something. Of course. And then a, a quick Google search later, I find the variety article and New York times and all these things. And it's, it's what a, I don't know. This is probably one of the most shocking things to happen. I, you know, out of everything that happened this year, this was incredibly unexpected. It it, really it came out of the blue. It was he was not public with his uh, his uh, cancer, and so yeah. I mean, it it came out of nowhere. Uh, there will be. I this is going to shake. I think the world of film pretty hard. I know. Yeah. There are broader implications for what will happen to, let's say, you know, say the the Marvel universe because he was Black Panther. He was the face of a billion dollar movie. Um, yeah. So you know, to to lose such an immense talent like that uh, is 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 pretty heavy. Um, and we're. I mean, it's 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 just yeah, no, it's it's just incredibly sad. Like. You know, it's 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 kind of humbling to know that in a way, like you know, he could spend his last moments with his family, you know, like the yeah. most important, like his his support system and things like that. But you know, it's just as someone who's had to deal with with cancer and and the family, yeah, you know, like f- cancer, yeah, you know, like and what colon cancer? I I, I want to say that's like one of the the worst forms that it can take inside of a person i was colon pancreatic and then there's one more um that is just it, i mean i would say any of them are are yeah any awful. in in my experience with with having family members who've had to deal with cancer it's just it's it's always been it, it's always been a, a kind of like a trouble like it, mm-hmm. it just is the worst kind of thing you know I, you pointed it out yesterday like and i i feel like I, i've seen a lot of people point this out like during like interviews and things that we'd see Chadwick and, and you, know, you look at him and it almost seems like he's kind of dazed or tired in, in certain interviews, but still trying to keep his, um, his, his composure. Know, exactly. Like you don't realize that, you know, he's been battling this, this terrible disease for the last several years. And, you know, I think, you know, when you look at some of the articles and I know I even thought it myself at the time when you would see him, uh, on the red carpet or in these press junkets, he would be doing, you know, the Wakanda forever pose and his face just was not the face of someone happy. Um, and I know at the time I often thought, well, this is a man who, uh, who maybe is finally, maybe he's already getting over the superhero craze. Maybe he's had enough of Marvel and he, you know, it's, it's a shame to know that it was actually much worse than that. And, yeah. uh, you know, our, our thoughts go out to Chadwick Boseman's family and, you know, the world has lost, a a, a king. Yeah, I would agree. I like, I like one of the sentiments that people brought up, you know, although Black Panther is not the only work that he's done, it's, it's just definitely resonated with a lot of people. But, um, one of the, one of the notes that, uh, I've seen people posting or one of the clips is that, um. It's where T'Challa sits next to uh, Scarlett Johansson's character of Natasha Romanoff and says, uh, death is not the end. Or in my, in my culture, death is not the end. Mm, yeah. And it's, you know, I, you know, as 
there are believers out there and, and some non-believers. I, I believe that as well. You know, he will, he will forever live on. That, that's, a, that is, I've seen that, uh, scene being shared around a lot. The one also I've seen and, um, for, for today's world, I think it was a very powerful scene, um, from the very end of Black Panther when he's at the UN and he is, uh, he is giving his speech about how we need to build bridges and not barriers. Um, no, it's just powerful. And, um, you know, it's, it is a real shame. Yeah, I agree. But I, you know, we want, we want, uh, not to bring this, this whole, uh, uh, podcast down. We just wanted to, uh, pay our respects to, uh, a very talented actor, um, and I think with that we can we can get back to our uh, originally uh, scheduled program. So it's it's funny that we talk about this idea that that death is not the end for some of, for for this guy because that that kind of plays into the role of this idea of the Avatar: The Last Airbender, right? You know, this idea of of this show that kind of as as we said earlier, it it hit people, it hit the world by a storm. You know the audiences. Uh, so, I mean, for those who are don't know, um, Avatar: The Last Airbender. What what can we say about the show? What what is the well, best kind of synopsis that encompasses everything? It is an animated series uh, created uh, in large part by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko. Uh, it ran from two thousand five to two thousand eight, and drew heavy inspiration from anime and from Eastern mythology and had a, you know, short run, but in that short time, I think delivered some of the best world building character writing, um, and action, uh, to, to really grace, uh, the world of American animation that I, I'd agree with that. I, you know, I also feel like it's, you know, when you say the idea that the show had a short run, I always like to think that, you know, it wasn't that it was cut short or anything like that, but it's just, it, it told a story within the confines of three seasons, about 60 episodes total. Yeah. Um, which doesn't necessarily seem short at all, but just compared to most shows that we see now have like 10 or 12 seasons, like very established, like they had an entire story that they were able to put, into into these episodes and, and kind of complete really you know it's like yeah. with enough exposition and action and and just things like and any kind of like loopholes were really just like you know th- though there was a follow follow up television show almost ten years later um there was more like uh just a, a really or it ended ten years later excuse me um there, it was just a really well contained world I, it's like there's other you know when you look at animated programs. There's other shows I feel like kind of fit that mold, like um, this one that was on on Disney Channel, Gravity Falls. By Gravity Alex Falls. Hirsch. Oh, uh, yeah. Just, Gravity Falls is great. Just two seasons, but it's like a, a, a contained story. You know, it's like he always planned it like as, or it's like two or three seasons. I don't know, um, but it, it wasn't anything big. You know, it's like he had the story he wanted to tell. He told it, and he didn't want to kind of oversaturate with anything else that he didn't feel would would the show could really cater to. Or, I have, or things like that. I have always had a great respect for, uh, creators, um, of, of long, long form storytelling that 
have an end in mind from the beginning and don't feel the need to drag their story out longer than they need to. And when I think of that, I think of shows like Breaking Bad and yeah. um and and Avatar. I mean like, you know, it's it's it didn't need to be any longer than it was and at no point in it does it feel like its short length is sacrificing anything uh to to make it such a uh short series. So, I like how you compared it to Breaking Bad there. Um and in a way it reminds me of a conversation we had while playing the episode, you know, talking about like Avatar being maybe one of the the greatest series ever created, but it's also in my mind like a, a hidden gem because you you wouldn't think that an animated show like I don't think animated shows attract much attention outside of people in certain age groups. Oh know, yeah. like I I know my dad has never seen the show and I doubt he'll ever watch it. Same thing like most most like I would say adults really. Um like they look at cartoons or animations more like for kids rather than you know for them as well, but but the fact that a show like this maybe that was originally intended for people of the ages between let's say 7 and and mid teens, mid right. to late teens. You know, like the fact that it includes such incredible themes and 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 stories and just it kind of it deals with a lot of heavy topics. It and, yeah, and, and it it, uh, it really transcends its uh its genre. Exactly. Um yeah, I know uh I think we've both uh, been in agreement when we have gotten some of our friends who weren't uh, weren't initiated into the series uh, fandom prior to its uh, release on Netflix. We would say to them, "Listen, it's a kids show, and early on, it's definitely uh, it takes some getting used to because it is, or at least in the beginning, definitely tra- targeting a young audience." Mm-hmm. But I don't think it takes too long for the series to really kind of shed that skin and present itself as a, you know, for all ages story. And in mm-hmm. some cases, <clears throat> excuse me, and in some cases, really uh, not not for kids in some spots, um, which I you think. Know, I- yeah, go ahead. No, I I would agree. Like, I I think the show did a good job as, as establishing as you know in terms of like establishing itself like as like a children's program, but it you know it it didn't let that kind of stop it. You know, like while sure in two thousand five it you know it became a hit amongst people our age and in between and 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 things of the sort. Like, and there's an age gap between you and I, right? There's like what five four years something like between that, yeah. us. I stopped um, counting. but but like you know well i mean when you're a child like the age difference between an eight-year-old and and a 12-year-old you know that four years that's important you know like in terms of development and like interests and things like that like i i'd say that 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 kind of thing matters but you know it it didn't let that age gap and things stop itself from also evolving because you know as the audiences kind of grew to watch the show you know so did the show kind of grew into the things like all right what can we give you know our viewers outside of just kind of like very one dimensional, like tones, feelings, and characters. Like now they started after the first season in 2005, the second season, they got it into a lot more depth. Really. I feel like this, the second season really stands strong. Oh yeah. Like, or above the rest of the entire show. And, and we'll get into that in a moment. And, but and like, I want to emphasize, uh, 
at the time of this show coming out nowadays nowadays it's it's so common to see shows like this you have the original mm-hmm. avatar you have legend of korra you have uh steven universe and gravity falls and adventure time and shows where, that are marketed towards children but that do carry heavier themes and do yeah. present um moral but questions they, that they just have like they're underneath the guise of like interesting and just very kind of like poppy art in a way that like kind of like attracts certain of course but uh, at the people. time yeah. at the time for nickelodeon and it's and it's you know contemporary channels uh the cartoon network and mm-hmm. uh disney show i'll say cartoon network not so much because cartoon network was pretty big into uh anime of that time um i I also think they 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 got to have things like flapjack and like other sorts (laughs) of things kind of like kind of but helping them out at the time but as far as like nickelodeon there wasn't anything like this you know shows didn't function on a long-term uh uh progressive story where you know if you miss an episode you have missed you know probably some vital information um yeah. you know most most uh nicktoons at the time were serialized and so then this show comes along uh with very slick lively animation uh yeah. uh a story that you know insisted that you pay attention um and like you said as as the series would go on present uh, some very heady themes and some interesting alternatives of mythology that I think kind of challenge uh, Western sensibilities in terms of good and evil. That's true. So I, I think we should also kind of include in terms of like production wise, though the show is by like American creators, uh, it was actually animated by by three different Korean companies. Yes. So and those companies are. Uh, Excuse me here as I as I review the names of them again. They're uh, bah, 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 Jam Animation, DR Movie, and then the last one. I don't I know believe, if I don't know if it's MOI or MOE. Um, yeah, and I, I believe it's it's MOE or uh, MOI maybe Animation. We'll we'll let everybody else. Figure yeah, out tell the, us uh, we're wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, um, they. Um, so it's like a great partnership between like you know these these. You know, it's not because most American television programs, or even like they would, they'd be animated either here or, or even in Canada, right? When you when you look at, or actually, I've seen some that are, use like European animation companies as well. So, for this to kind of utilize that versus like, I, I know other animes also use, um, or at least traditional animes use like Korean companies yeah, for their animations. It's, it's pretty. It was just common. kind of like great collaboration. Uh, yeah, and I mean, if you uh, if you do uh, read into it, you there's a lot of workplace politics that uh, kind of dominated uh, the Korean animation industry. That uh, Brian Konietzko, who handled more of the animation side of of the creation of the series, whereas mm-hmm. Michael Dante DiMartino handled the writing, um, mm-hmm. where Konietzko really tried to work as best he could with his team, avoid kind of the the workplace environments um, and maybe the toxic uh, attitudes that had become common in the Korean yeah. mar- uh, industry at the time. And 
this is featured a lot in kind of like the behind the scenes for the series, but he was very specific on how he uh, wanted certain character uh, moments to play so much so that he would record himself uh, acting out scenes for reference for the animators. Um, I know yeah. one one example being uh, from the episode The Waterbending Scroll when Aang goes into the shop and he's trying to buy... I don't know if he's trying to buy the scroll or he's trying to buy something, but he has that great line where he's like, what say you to one copper piece and then two <laughs> copper pieces, you know? And yeah. and there's video you can find of Konietzko acting that out in the exact same motion. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, there's such a passion that went into it, and you can really feel that in so many aspects of it. Yeah. Well, all right, so I want to give, like, a, a little story synopsis a bit, a little more. So this is coming from the, the Wikipedia of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. The series is centered around the journey of a 12-year-old Aang, the current avatar and last survivor of his nation, the Air Nomads, along with his friends Sokka, Katara, and later Toph, as they strive to end the Fire Nation's war against other nations of the world. It follows the story of Zuko, the exiled prince of the Fire Nation, seeking to restore his lost honor by capturing Aang, accompanied by his wise uncle, and later that of his ambitious sister, Azula. So... You know what would be great is if we read the intro to the <laughs> You mean <laughs> to the, the, show. the the uh opening that is like the perfect thing if you've never watched an episode and have to drop right in the beginning yeah. that tells you literally everything you need to know right away. Yeah. That um I just feel like what did they say? Uh long ago uh there was the Avatar The four well, nations lived had- in harmony. And everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's water, earth, fire, air. Um, long ago, the four nations lived in harmony. Then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of the four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years later, my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Uh, opening music and then previously on avatar the episode. <laughs> and it's a, it's a great it's a great way to you know if you if you don't know what you're getting into or if you need a refresher about what show you are watching you can't do better than yeah. that it is it is really efficient with just here's who we are here's who this person yeah. is here's the central conflict uh, and now like, it it almost allows itself to be a show watch serially in a way. Like we said, even though it kind of it also has organized itself to do, you know, be more than just that, you know, but like the, the situations that some of these characters find themselves in. And, and, you know, though there is the overarching story and then they also give you like the previous of what you missed. And there's here's the key moments from the past couple episodes. Like, I, I really feel like it, it tried to 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 be something more than than just anything else. Like, it could be a serial, but it could also be, like, a, a drama, you know? Like, they, I, they really tr- did a great job of, like, combining all different facets of television at the time. Yeah, I like that, you know, they, they cast a wide net, and I think it speaks to uh, how popular the show has become, which mm-hmm. now in 2020 we know it was, you know, the top of Netflix's top ten trending uh, uh, entries for several weeks, um, 
and remained in the top 10 for a very long time. And now Legend of Korra, its sequel series, uh, which, you know, we'll get to at another date, uh, is now, I believe, at the top of that list and or maintaining in the top 10. So, I mean, these shows have a huge fan base. And the reason why is because the writing is exceptional. The characters are three-dimensional and uh-huh. uh the animation is is really great i know by by today by 2020 standards it can be a little off and a little um i know the aspect ratio is a little i, uh, I, I was gonna say that my <laughs> the, the worst thing about how it holds up and then rewatching on on so actually before it went on to no actually when it went back on netflix in the summer this year um is when i rewatched it first and i was like oh this is fantastic but then i realized Wait, the entire show is is four by three, like standard def. They like not even by by the last part, like or last book. Uh, were they able to like kind of update that? Like, oh man, that sucks. I don't remember that at all. Um, <laughs> but in, in the end, you know, you get past it, and once you once you get past some of like the the like why the things were, you know, in, in two thousand five, and you know, I let let nostalgia bring you in rather. Like, if you're a fan <laughs> of the show. Let that get you back in the show, and then you realize, as an adult, you know, viewing on these things, like, oh wow, like this is incredible. But I also feel like, you do you think there's a new population of children now that are discovering the show I, for the first time? I hope so because I, 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 it pains me that there are people who don't know of the series and uh, and uh, don't uh, and and are are missing what this has to offer. Um, mm-hmm. You know what's interesting about the animation? Um, one thing I've I I this is not my take. Um, I I heard this in a video somewhere, but uh, a f- just a really cool thing with the animation is, you look at any one frame, any one shot of uh, of the series. There's always motion. Yeah. Something is always moving. Someone is either you know, gesticulating or, you know, moving about in the scene, but Mm -hmm. there is never a still shot. And I think that Mm -hmm. really, the series comes alive like that. It really, um, it, it leaps off the screen. So, um, you know, but that, that's, I don't want to say that like everything's like the most amazing thing. You know, there's some things that are a little more, at least in the, in the, let's get into the first book. Yeah. Book one water. Yeah. Like it, 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 it starts with a little bit of camp in some of the way things like kind of move and, and are, and are said. And, but like, that's how they were, they were making it for the audience of the time. So, so I compare it kind of to Harry Potter in that the early Harry Potter books are very kind of silly. And, um, and even that carries over to the, the movies of the Harry Potter series where the early Christopher Columbus movies are mm-hmm. very, very silly. Uh, you know, uh, the the antics and the music and the direction is all very child-friendly. And then as it goes yeah. on, uh, when you get into the later uh, entries, it kind of you, it grows with its audience. You mean when, when they get, uh, uh, what is his name, um, Karan in there? Uh, for like the for oh yeah uh, Christopher yeah. Baskerville yes yeah Alfonso Cuarón uh, dude like that talk about changing the game right so um, I think Avatar does the same thing where in the beginning it knows who its initial audience is gonna be and plays to that audience only to then kind of grow and mature with its audience mm-hmm. so yeah in that first uh, in the first book it's definitely very 
kid friendly. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I, I know for myself, I don't know about for you, but I find that in the first book, I having having rewatched the show several times, um, mm-hmm. uh, I there's a lot of like episodes I can live with or without in book one because yeah. they do feel a bit inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. Um, yeah. The, the Great Divide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I'll tell you what. So, if all right, we start at the beginning of the series. Uh, funny enough, one of the, the, the head creative powers in Book One of Avatar is uh, a very special man in the Star Wars universe, Dave Filoni. Oh, I thought you were, to... were going to say Mark Hamill. <laughs> well, no, I wish. Well, Mark Hamill comes to play in the series later on. Um, but... So Dave Filoni, before he moved on to Star Wars Clone Wars, he worked on the Avatar, which is why uh, he didn't move or continue in Avatars because he worked on the movie form and then he worked on this, the series and got locked into Lucasfilm as George Lucas's protege or, mm-hmm. or so, so to speak. His, his estranged son. Uh. It, well, <laughs> they, they talk about having that kind of relationship that he's just like, he, they're not less of friends, even though they've known each other, worked with each other for years, but it's like, he just goes to him like that's his sensei, you know? Right. Well, yeah. Like, it's, uh, which is kind of interesting. According to IMDb, uh, Filoni directed nine episodes of the first book, of the first season. Mm-hmm. When we say book, yeah. we mean season for those who are not Avatar fans uh, yet. I, we hope we can change your mind. But yeah, the seasons they, are referred to as books. They're, and, and they also kind of take place like book one is water, where... Aang's already the airbender. He's the last airbender, right, of his nation. And so the order of teaching or of obtaining the other forms of bending or skills that he has to get is uh, water, earth, and then fire. Um, so just looking at, at this show, yes, book one, um, rewatching it, it's not that I hate it. Because I know. <laughs> In reality, <laughs> you know, it's like I look at it and I'm like, ah, like it's just the other stuff books are just a lot stronger in terms of everything. Book one's just very, it's very much for children. You know, it's, it's very one dimensional in the things it sees. However, at least, at like least at parts. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, there are a lot of things that I feel like they do. That's do spill over to the later parts in the book. Like a lot of establishing things that come here, you know, like a lot of all the character introductions, first off we get, and we get like dynamics. Um, but then you also get other, maybe a little more, there there's smaller supporting roles, but they end up playing a big part uh, in in the later episodes and the later seasons, including very pivotal moments. You're you talking, know, like, you're talking your Sukis, your Jets, exactly. Your... <laughs> other other you know riveting characters, but uh, you know, I it, think it, it was this. As you like to put it, because you always tell me like it it is the stepping stones for why we got such better things in the end. And I'm like, yeah, that's sure, that's fine, but. Um, uh, you know, where where would you want to begin? More like stories or, or well, character? Well, we can talk, you know, stories and character, all that. The one thing I think book one gave us, I mean, and I say this in, you know, not literally book one gave us, the series gave us this, but mm-hmm. book one, obviously, from the very beginning, from maybe the first scene, we get our introduction to the bending. Um, mm-hmm. the, the four elements, water, air, earth, fire, each one, um, there are characters who can manipulate these elements, and, um, and much like the characters themselves, we see the, the, the art of bending 
evolve and uh, develop over time. And, you know, I think that was one of the big hooks. I think that's the thing that kind of keeps you watching in this first season is there are some really cool ideas of the bending. I think we'll, we'll get more into it as the, as we talk more in depth about the series, but um, Mm -hmm. I did want to touch there, you know, kind of going back to, to the animation real fast. Every bending was based on uh, a real life martial art. Uh, There is Tai Chi for water bending, Hungar for earth bending, Northern Shaolin for fire bending and Bagua for air bending. Yeah. Um, And it gives each, uh, bender, a very unique, almost like identity. Yeah, so um, I was gonna say, so it's like, what is what is the bending in this world? You know, for for us who don't know, it's 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 just this this power, this ability that gives each of these characters control of a specific element, as with, as we kind of were saying earlier. Right, with the one exception being Aang as the avatar, the one who can master all four. Right. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, I think that's one of the best things book one kind of gives us, but, uh, I mean, you know, cruising along, we have, have I would say the depth that I think it gives these characters, even very early on, I think is, is very, uh, interesting. Zuko in, Mm -hmm. in book one, uh, is obviously our, our bad guy. But we're almost rooting for him by episode three, uh, the Southern Air Temple, uh, when mm-hmm. Admiral Zhao is introduced as our secondary antagonist. Yeah, and is meant to challenge uh, Zuko in his pursuit of Aang. Um, and it's cool that, like you know, Zuko, who is very much designed in the first season to look like a real bad dude, he's got a scar and he's got this ponytail and a lot of sharp edges on his outfit that suddenly he is not top of the food chain anymore yeah well not to mention he's also has this incredible voice actor uh by the likes of uh rufio from hook dante or, or basco. Dante, ba- dante basco who is has just kind of he's almost become um he's he really has done a great job of embodying zuko in real life from times like he loves the fandom of, of the Avatar oh, world yeah. and, and just like the kind of person that everybody looks at him to be. And, and also this his arc throughout the entirety of the series. But like his his arc in the in the first book, um, it's it's really it, it, it then in a way it's becomes the most intricate versus all the other characters. Versus yeah, Aang he, and, and and the gang, the he, team Avatar as they he's call the themselves. Most, he's the most dynamic. Yeah. Um uh and, and uh, real fast, the the acting voice acting talent in this series is amazing. You got Zach Tyler's Ang, you got Jack DeSena as Sokka, May Whitman as Katara, like you just said, Dante Basco as Zuko, and uh, maybe the most unparalleled of any of them, Mako Iwamatsu as Uncle Iroh. Uh, lovely Mako, who's also uh, of uh, Samurai Jack fame, amongst yes. other amazing things. I think he was also a character in The West Wing. Um, and he did, I, I think he like... popped up for an episode or two, but, yeah. uh, but he has, he has that unmistakable voice to the point that while I think, um, uh, Greg Baldwin replaced him after, uh, Mako's passing. Yeah. Um, but, but he, it's funny enough because I feel like he's also said Greg Baldwin has said this, that he's always lived off like the shadow and it, uh, you know, rode the coattails of Mako as like his voice double, you yeah. know, because even like. While they were, um, 
while they were playing characters like in any show, like Greg Baldwin has rep- uh, has always stepped in wherever Mako has had to step down, even while uh, while still alive. As, yeah, because as we know, we lost Mako in the in uh, I want to say kind of halfway through Avatar. We, yeah, like in the when he had finished recording the bulk of his work for uh for the second book. Yeah. Um, and, and while, you know, Greg Baldwin does an admirable, admirable job and no one I feel could ever live up to the, just the instant recognizability of Mako Iwamatsu's voice. Mm-hmm. He does a, he does a fine job. It's not the same. Uh, it, it could never be the same. Um, but I think, you know, that just goes to show like the, the voice acting for the series, it really helps bring these characters to life. Um, I know Uncle Iroh. One of my favorite characters of the series. Um, I I I know real hot take, real cutting edge stuff, but <laughs> um, uh, but, but you know you look at you look at him and and he's the he's the guiding force, the character that that you know gives Zuko like his advice. You know he's uh, what what is the the role? I guess the writing role you would call it. Like he that's his support his support system kind of yeah. going around all these adventures. And though obviously Zuko and, and Iroh never see eye to eye, you know, he always kind of well, comes in there they, they being do, like his, Zuko's biggest fan. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, sure. By the end they do, but it's like, you know, in, in keeping with book one a, as, you know, former prince of the fire nation, right. Iroh uh, was next in line, you yeah. know, to take over, um, you know, you really, you know, and now you, you, you almost wonder why he's there. Well, we'll, with with Zuko, we'll we'll get to that because that is something I do want to touch in touch on a little bit later as we kind of go through the chronology of the series. Uh, because I I do think at the beginning he kind of is like just this mentor figure. He is also comedic relief, comedic kind of relief, in a way. but but they're like very you, different personalities. You you know uh, early enough that he's he's enough of a badass that like he can hold yeah. his own. But yeah, yeah, he does have a lot of comic relief. He's always telling Zuko to chill out. And um, Zuko, you know, even though as early as the third episode comes across as kind, you know, even as the third episode, he's already not the biggest threat. He's not the biggest uh, uh, danger to the to Team Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, he can sometimes come across as a bit one-dimensional until mm-hmm. we get to... I don't know if it's considered a two-parter. I consider it a two-parter, but uh, the storm and the blue spirit, right? Which, so this, I yeah, mean, go, go I guess starting with with the storm, uh, I would say is almost one of the most important episodes in the show. Yes. Uh, when you when hold on, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to make sure I get this correct. So the storm was was directed by Lauren McMullen, who plays a large part in the show, all three seasons, uh, written by Aaron Hayes, and then the spirit or uh, the blue spirit. Directed by Dave Filoni and written by the creators DiMartino and Konietzko. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that their relationship in terms of the episode order and, and just kind of like the background and then furthermore like what what we see with that background applied like in into the the Blue Spirit really kind of is a testament as to like you know not not in terms of serial episodes but like really like connecting the two right seeing those arcs go from one episode to to the other but you know then again you could also jump into either one right. however you want I, I i love these episodes because um the storm is great because you know it, it equally between uh ang and zuko 
it provides their backstory, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it shines a light on their on on aspects of their character that don't really come up more so for Aang than for Zuko, but they don't come up too often where uh Aang, you know, he was just this the a kid, all he wanted to do was have fun, and suddenly he is being told he is the you know, has the biggest responsibility on his shoulders, and that terrifies him, and that's something that we see carry on even into the final season. Yeah. Um and then with Zuko, you f- realize that this uh kind of arrogant uh, hot-headed you know, hot, even <laughs> no pun intended right uh-huh. but like you know he he's but he also he has this other side to him that he was not always like this this really damaged soul in and a way i think he, i think that's that's yeah that's the exact thing is he he's damaged he is he comes this attitude is the result of abuse Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, you don't really, you, at the time, you didn't really get in kid shows. This is a person whose father violently injured him and basically corrupted his worldview on what was, what, what he was supposed to be like. Yeah. If anything, it's almost as if he had, uh, like a form of Stockholm syndrome in a way. He he does. He, he definitely has um a a bit of a kind of loving his abuser yeah um, in a bit or like like just kind of like this really you know twisted view uh, on what that could be you know and and he he never really kind of understood and you know it's funny that you say it's like it was kind of new ground for nickelodeon i can only think the only other two episodes that may have dealt with abuse or only other shows might have been like full house <laughs> you know and yeah. that was very like just why abuse is bad and maybe like, Hey Arnold. Um, but again, you know, like this one had, so, had so much detail into it, you know, like, and, and then with the storm, you, you get that other outside of like, you know, you get the backstory of why he is this terrible person. You then get him put in a situation where he realizes the kind of the mistakes and like, actually that maybe he is a caring person. He cares about his crew, right. the people that he, 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 he travels the world with and he seems so cruel to, but it, you know, after he recognizes his own mistake and then puts his own life on the line to, to ensure the safety of everybody around. Yeah. Him. And then as if that w- didn't immediately provide some very good and necessary depth to, I would say our two primary protagonists of the series, um, mm-hmm. We get the blue spirit where Aang hoping to, you know, find a cure for his friends who are sick uh, because mm-hmm. of what happened in the storm. Um, he gets captured by Admiral Zhao and a mysterious figure busts him out. Um, a mysterious masked figure who is revealed to be Zuko. Um, yeah. And while he saves him for entirely selfish reasons... Um, what what I sometimes refer to as uh, the Vegeta uh, uh, excuse Complex. of uh, oh, okay. of of no one gets to kill you but me you know yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah it, there's this wonderful scene in the Blue Spirit where Aang is with Zuko Zuko's unconscious and he says you know 
if we had been born at a different time, you know, do you think we could have been friends? Um, and it's, it, it does kind of speak to the tragedy of, of their characters that mm-hmm. in any other situation, they probably, uh, they probably would not have been, you know, fighting, uh, mm-hmm. which we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, you know, but I, I feel like I, what I like the episode kind of does like a, in, in this, you know, we see Zuko though he's doing this deed on, you know, selfish terms. It, it almost kind of seems selfless as well. Like, you know, putting himself on the line, like it also provides like a nice role reversal, you know, though we thought Zuko may have also been our main antagonist and Zhao was our, you know, secondary antagonist. We, we kind of get that like, okay, now Zhao in this episode was also been like promoted from, from commander to admiral and now he's giving the orders to all the fire nation people you know right. now he's even in charge of zuko like and now the avatars become his hunt and zuko really needs to stand down but you know it, it, and it kind of heightens that relationship a little bit uh and then it also kind of you know creates that kind of hate you know for the blue spirit that Zhao has and and that kind of caters into some of the, the, the most pivotal moments in, in the end of the series, you know, Absolutely. or the end of the series, it should be end of the season, end of the book. You know, we, you know, we jump a, a across a few episodes. Uh, I want to go back to, to the deserter in a bit, but, but going into something like, you know, the siege of, of the North, you know, and, and the waterbending master, right? Yeah. Like, so the waterbending master outside of the, the, the team avatar storyline, you get Zuko, um, whose ship has now been accom- uh, accommodated, right? Is that the no, word? No, um, uh, <laughs> um, I know exactly, <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying, and the word is... Accommodeered, accommodeered. Commandeered, yes. Com- or commandeered, uh, excuse my misuse of the English language. Um, but, and taken by Admiral Zhao as for his, his, all right, it's the ship and the crew, um, and they decide that Zuko... He doesn't want to go. He wants to stay because he hates Zhao and, and what he's doing. Right. Um, and so Zhao then is also revealed that, you know, Zuko is the blue spirit. He sees the writing on the wall or rather the swords. Um, <laughs> That's a great moment. I love I love his eyes kind of like wide and he and, you know, he doesn't say anything, but he's like, oh, this this, you know, little this twerk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so, you know, then he hires a, a team of, of ex-sophisticated pirates. They're not ex-pirates. They're still pirates. The ones they, from uh, the waterbending scroll. Exactly. And then, and then they blow up Zuko's ship, and Zuko's presumed dead. However, you know, it's later revealed that he snuck onto Zhao's ship at the, you know, thanks to his uncle. And, you know, and he, he's going to ruin Zhao's chance at the, getting the Avatar. And it, it becomes a lot more... It comes. It, it gets real, man. It, it really does. does. Um, I I remember <laughs> as a, as a youngin, which I guess when the show when that episode aired, I was I had to have been fourteen, maybe. Um, I was gonna say in, in two thousand five. How old were you? That was fourteen uh, years ago. Yeah, my birthday's in December, so I would have been fourteen probably when the show. I would have when been that 10. episode aired. That episode blew me away when when Zuko got uh blown up because yeah. I, I was like you know I I I did not see it coming I didn't think that Zhao was the type of person to I knew he was you know it, in retrospect when you're watching it having uh grown and matured and understanding the uh, you know certain tropes and rewatching knowing what's eventually going to happen you can kind of see 
the writings on the wall. He tries to attack Zuko from behind in the third episode of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, when when I first saw it, I mean that it, these are the building blocks uh, of when I knew even back then that the show was going from good to great. Yeah. So um, actually, I, I I forgot to mention this earlier when you were mentioning the the comparing Avatar to Harry Potter in that way. Um, and one of the the articles I read is that actually the the creators of the sh- of Avatar. Um, were heavily inspired on the worlds of Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and one other um, important piece of, uh, not mythology, but like one other tr- trilogy of movies or something. And I, I just kind of found that interesting that you yeah. brought that in there. And I know you, you're, in your own writing, Lord of the Rings also kind of holds like, uh, you know, it just only, it only gets better in a way, yeah. uh, except for the, the Hobbit movies. Um, well, but- uh, well, well, you know, one day, one day we may broach the Hobbit movies because uh, they're not. Uh, I have a lot to say on those, but sure. uh, <laughs> but um, I think you know, let's let's kind of uh, move along. I know you want to touch touch on the Deserter because it is a very fascinating well, um, kind of look at at Zhao at the idea of fire bending in its place in the world and as a tool for the avatar. Yeah. I mean like, well, f- funny enough, this is where Aang gets a little, you know, we finally see his more of his arrogance as like, Oh, I'm the avatar. Like, I just want to do things like his kind of carefree attitude kind of take hold of him. Right. And so he tries to skip the steps. You know, we said earlier, he has to master water, earth and fire. And also in that order where he's like, no, I just, I kind of want to skip to fire. What they refer to as the avatar sequence. Exactly. Um, And so, you know, while he's still in the middle of learning waterbending, you know, he, he has found um, a former firebending commander, admiral, general, whatever you want to call him. Zhang Zhang. Zhang Zhang, who, by the way, the voice talent of Zhang Zhang, I would say almost equally as notable as, as Mako, uh, forgive me as I have to Google his name um, just because I feel like this voice is like, you know, I can't even really pronounce his name. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I am looking for his name for for his voice actor, too. Uh, it's Keone Young, right? I think that's how you pronounce it. So uh, Keone Young, I just feel like when I when I hear um, kind of his it's especially when he yells like at Aang, like just kind of like the the tone in his voice and like just the way it sounds you know him from other shows um i want to say i I don't want to name stupid roles or (laughs) i don't want to say my roles yeah but like um at the time shows like american dragon jake long right like that was on uh disney channel or something he played uh the 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 grandfather if you will he was um he was what else he was in men in black three funny enough he was in crank uh, both of them dude where's my car he's (laughs) actually a voice in ghost of tsushima star Um, wars rebels yeah like he he oh he's commander sato exactly like he also um well i guess in samurai jack i don't know from he's 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 had a very a very prolific career yeah, his voice is almost iconic in terms of like uh, kind of animated uh, television, if you will. Right. Um, no, um, he's he's great, and I think he he kind of he presents a good foil in his attitude uh, of of his his abilities compared to I think some of the other uh, mm-hmm. mentor types and and firebenders we see in in the series. Uh, yeah, but I, I feel like. What what 
a very important part for me about the deserter episode is actually in terms of how it affects like the world of Avatar, or, like the world building in the show. And this this kind of works its way into book two, Earth. You know, in book in book one, the, there's a big idea in the entire show that you know the bad guys are almost very one dimensional. It's it's everybody who's a, a Fire Nation character is just bad. You know, whether you're a person, uh, a person, someone in the army, or you know, you're just just anyone in general, you know, because in the deserter, they go to this village like, oh, it's a Fire Nation village. We got to put on disguises like they're right. Fire Nation. They're evil. Like they even think like um, the guy that that catches them and, and leads them to Zhang Zhang is, is a bad guy. It's like you're you're Fire Nation. Right. You know, they, they flip out. And and so, you know, outside of like people like Jet um, and and that uh, this other woman in the beginning of uh, where, where they meet Bato, the one that that has the whip that rides a. Uh, Oh, it's beast. June. June, exactly. That's her name. And uh, um, uh, her her animal is, uh, I believe, known as a uh, a, a shershu. Well, like you have some of these minor non Fire Nation bad guys, but Book Two in Earth, it kind of starts off like with okay, now you see that people outside of the Fire Nation realm could also be bad guys. Let's show you like some some other bad guys. You know, some Earth Nation, right? Being yes. bad isn't just you know one color. Being bad is like or one nation, it's it could be anyone, you know, and, and book two plays in this so well with like you have kind of uh bad factions or or just kind of ill willed antagonists throughout it, the entirety of, of the of the book. Yeah, the series I think it it more so in the later uh in the later seasons, but um it really it it trusts its audience, even if they may be children, to to understand that not everyone of one race or nation are inherently good or evil. Yeah. You, you'll have good people in the fire nation and bad people in, you know, the earth kingdom or bad people in the water tribe. Um, and there's definitely, I, I know, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, but there is, um, a particular, uh, enemy they face later in the series who I think is maybe, one of the worst, and they're not Fire Nation. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so the uh, yeah that kind of starts with the deserter, and it's it's a it's it, such... it's just very obvious in the deserter, right? They go into the town and just like everything's bad. Oh, that's it's Fire Nation. That's bad, you know. And it's like you know it it causes that that one dimensional association, right? And so when you start getting it's it's in the very first episode, I love it. Um, it's it's this. They go to uh, this fire, this fire nation. Excuse me, um, this Earth Nation general. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the in the very you're, beginning, you're, you're talking. Are you talking uh, at the beginning of book two? Beginning of book two, uh, the episode titled "The yeah. Avatar State." Um, this this general does kind of anything he can to make Aang go into the state because he thinks that Aang should go and fight the Fire Lord already. After seeing the the reaction of what happened at the siege of the North where, where Aang went into the Avatar state, he kind of fused with the ocean spirit, uh, to wipe out, um, the, the, the Navy. And really he didn't wipe it out. He just kind of scared them half to death and pushed them away. And, and they went, I'm pre- it is I'm, not of Aang's spirit. I'm, pr- to, I'm to pretty sure people. he, I'm pretty sure they killed people. But <laughs> he, he up and up until the, uh, up until the second season of Korra, you think that, uh, Admiral Zhao dies, uh, but you know if you take Avatar: The Last Bender as it is with no companion series, Admiral Zhao, yeah, you know he he dies <laughs> exactly. But I mean, 
that's less of Aang doing that and more of like the spirit that did that and like Zuko yeah. watched and But yeah, so the uh the, the Earth general in the in book two, he definitely he carries he, he on almost, he, he knows that Aang's weakness is almost is Katara almost. You know, he Not even almost, it just is. <laughs> it is Katara like, you know, he so he uses that weakness against Aang and, and almost tries to, to suffocate her or, or to you know, well, he just yeah, make I it seem he, like it does. He tricks he's, Aang into into thinking he's he's killed her, uh, or, exactly. or is going to kill her, and that awakens it. And yeah, it's a great it's a great precedent that is set that you know there are going to be shitty people on either side of this conflict because war is not clean. And I think a lot of times, if a children's uh, a program is going to depict things like war and ideas of good and evil, it is easy and convenient to show one side as being morally just and the other being uh, 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 evil and corrupt. Like, you know, Star Wars is big on the, the light side and the dark side. And, mm-hmm. you know, Avatar, uh, you, know, you know, it was nuanced. It said, no, there's... the every person is capable of immense acts of goodness and immense acts of evil. We even see Aang at times, uh, even, you know, later in, in book two, where he is on the verge of violently attacking people, Mm -hmm. um, when driven to that point. Uh, you know, I, I think, Funny enough, you know, when we talk about that, I like how you brought up Star Wars uh, as the example, because it's it's almost as if anybody that isn't a Jedi uh, can kind of be nuanced in a way now that I think about it. Well, yeah, um, it's like your Han ex- Solos. And- except like if you're a Jedi or you're a Sith like that, you can either you have to be one or the other. So that's a really good criticism of that. I feel like I um, but, we'll get into Star Wars another day, another day. But like when we want to relate it to Avatar, like that's so, you know, after the events of book one. Zuko's story in in book two is is that plight. Like now that we've seen him capable of of kind of being bad, right? How do we show that this character has also can also be capable of of what what other good can he be capable of outside of being the blue spirit and freeing Aang oh, for selfish reasons? What non selfish reasons? Well, I I like could, that could I like that. that his uh, his arc through season two is a very um, no pun intended, a very rocky one. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't yeah. just, he doesn't just go like me good now. It's he, he really struggles uh, with, with his identity and choosing mm-hmm. to do a good, uh, the right thing uh, in conflict with what he thinks is expected of him. Uh, and I think what propels that is the introduction of princess Azula, a voice yeah. by uh, great Lyle. Uh, and uh, she, I, I would say that she is Zuko's character, but she has no this this. There's no compromise to be good. She's uncompromising in her in her drive. She is just kind of not evil for evil's sake. That's their father. Well, yeah, right? she <laughs> is. She is a character that is defined, I think, by her uh, control. Um, yeah, you know, it's it, the psychology see, of of Azula is is I feel like the most interesting thing to look you, at. You see it even as early as like her first introduction when she's uh, training uh, on the ship, and they say like, "Oh, it was almost perfect, one hair out of place," and she's like, "No, I'm gonna do it again." Um, mm-hmm. But you know, right from the get go, she is she. I I I love the idea. You know, I know. They they kind of they flesh her out a bit more, but 
I think we we know there's enough analogs in the real world of people of young people who are given a lot of power and a lot of clout and it all mm-hmm. goes to their head and it can really turn them into these like monstrous sociopaths yeah. um and there's almost like a giddiness and a glee to how evil <laughs> she she is at times um but it also you know they do show later on that it does come from like a place of really deep insecurity um but but you know in those early episodes it's it's fun to watch her because she's she's like scene chewingly uh evil um yeah but so like in in her place in the story she takes the place of Zuko, or at least the main place yeah. that Zuko kind of filled, and like that is now our new kind of main antagonist, you know. And then Zuko then becomes this—I wouldn't say anti-hero, but he's he's kind of right in the middle between, you know, Team Avatar and um and Azula the Fire, Fire Nation, Nation bad, yeah, yeah, bad guy. Though, yeah, the Fire Nation is still used as this this point of like most bad, you know, on, on a linear on a line, you know, you have one end, Team Avatar. And then the other end, Fire Nation. The spectrum. You know, this, yeah, a spectrum, if you will. Well, I actually, I feel like it's much of a spectrum. I feel like they try to make it as linear as possible, or I think, as much of a line as possible. I think, though, that's you know, while while the show is is clear in 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 showing that anyone can be good and evil, even Zuko by by you know his his face turn by the end, he still acknowledges that by and large the Fire Nation is the source of a lot of the terrible crap that's going on. And, and so, you know, while, while there are good people and bad people all around the fire nation, you know, they're, they're long due for a, uh, comeuppance. And so as we go into through season two, I think, you know, we get some little fun episodes that kind of, you know, I don't think we need to talk too much about them, but like, you know, cave of two lovers, which is um, great. A- Avatar Day, where we get kind of some background info on uh, Avatar Kiyoshi. Uh, I, what I think, you know, the episode that spawned a bunch of memes because right. Ava- Ava- Avatar Kiyoshi is kind of a bamf. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. She's uh, another non compromising, just very like, it's one way. <laughs> it's you die or get out of my way. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty great. Um, and then. I, I would. Yeah, I want ahead. to go back when you said Cave of Two Lovers. I will say this episode is great because it gives us a small glimpse into like the world building of like how did people get to become benders? Like yes. where did specifically Earthbenders learned their their forms from these ancient um, blind badger moles? I believe. Well, yes. Yeah, so so this this introduces. I don't know if this is the episode that introduces it, but this is the episode I think where they really first focus. They talk on about it that, in terms of the earthbending. Well, well, yeah. It, it really focuses on the idea that. The idea of bending comes from the spiritual connection between man and nature, and that man developed the ability to bend by observing the original benders. So the earth, uh, earth bending came from badger moles, fire bending came from dragons, air bending mm. came from the sky bisons, and water bending came from observing the moon and ocean. Uh, yeah, and that's really cool because it it uh, really. It's it's this fascinating thing of like you know if someone someone's connection to nature and the world around them if it's strong enough they in turn are stronger. It's this really great, cool, 
awesome world-building thing that kind of gets torpedoed in Legend of Korra. We're not going to talk about it right now. Uh, we'll get to there one day. Um, Korra, I think, made some some controversial changes, at least in my opinion, but we'll we'll save that for another day. Too. Yeah. Cave of Two but, Lovers has some pretty right. It, it, it was honestly, it was. I feel like it's it's one of my favorite episodes when it's, looking back. It's at a fun there. episode. I like that. You know, they're kind of hippies, and the main dude's name is Chong, like uh, sure. Cheech and Chong. That's funny, right? Um, but uh, you know, I, I want to go back to to kind of like to Zuko, but like you know, you will we will go back and talk also about like you know why they go back to Omashu and how Bumi cannot end up teaching Aang earthbending. He'll have to find a new earthbending teacher. He later finds Toph, who plays a major role well, well, in the series wanna, from that point. I want to, I want to, you know, touch on Toph, uh, in a minute because it's, it is maybe one of my favorite moments of the series, but just, yeah, yeah they go back to Omashu. They have a fun, uh, kind of adventure there. Um, uh, we get our first kind of, in action introduction of May and Ty Lee, who are Azula's, uh, you know, left and right hand ladies, um, mm-hmm. each have kind of a cool thing. May is a, a weapons expert, and Ty Lee has uh, chakra chi blocking abilities, yeah. which is very cool. Um, she's very acrobatic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then from there, I think the next one after that is is Avatar Day, and then we have the swamp. Uh, well, the swamp is before. Oh, actually, yeah, no. If, we, if we're going, in, yeah, swamp is our kind of like well, yeah, perspective well, episode. Really, I just feel like it's you know they ha- they have these some adventures in in the Earth Kingdom, kind of on their way to finding this teacher, which, which I think the individual episodes are fine, if a bit, you know. I feel like that's still the last vestiges of season one's kind of episodic nature kind of falling to the wayside. And I think from the episode, the blind bandit maybe straight through to the end of the series, I think is when the show really hits its stride. And at that point, I don't think there is a single forgettable episode in the show. Um, They might not all be as like, noteworthy but i feel i feel like from that point you know up up until up until the blind bandit you have the same core team uh of for team avatar and you have the same kind of um dichotomy of zuko and iroh mm-hmm. and then after the blind bandit is when you really start to see character growth come in uh where toff is uh, sh- her character begins to rub off on Team Avatar. Zuko is having to really question his own uh, his ideologies. Kind of place in the world. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, while those early episodes are fun and they are very cool for world building, for me, uh, book two really takes off with The Blind Bandit. I love The Blind Bandit. It is the silliest most amazing character introduction episode I think of this series or Korra. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I The idea of Toph is so great that she's blind, but she uses her earthbending to see uh, Yeah, I was going to say she's her. like a master earthbender. 
I think and like it's the coolest I, I just I think it's the coolest thing ever I love the effects mm-hmm. that the show does of like when someone like touches the ground and you see like the waves go out and ripple up yeah. her body and stuff and she's like okay that dude's over there he's about to send a rock my way uh, don't you like when it's like Aang is kind of hopping around as an airbender he's able to kind of make extreme jumps and then she's like where are you and as soon as he lands she's like gotcha yeah you know, and then she sends something flying his way and you know like uh, Jesse Flower who's her uh, uh, voice actor uh, just does this great job. You know, you can tell that I'm sure, you know, a lot of these uh, voice actors really sound like they're having the time of their lives when they're ma- doing this series. But mm. Jesse Flower in particular, I feel like when she was uh, uh, voicing Toph, she just sounds like she is having the, the best time. Um, and cause, cause Toph is just a fun character. Her, her bending style is completely different than normal earthbending. It is actually based on uh, Chugar Southern Praying Mantis style. Mm-hmm. And um, because she didn't learn from an earthbending instructor, she learned from the badger moles that yeah, were brought up exactly. in Cave of Two Lovers. Um, and yeah, just, you know, she comes in like a wrecking ball and she immediately, you know, strikes uh, a a fun uh imbalance with with Katara with Aang uh because her gruff personality is so is so opposite to Aang uh in you know because like that is earth is his most difficult uh element to learn mm-hmm. uh, we're getting into the the following episodes uh, like bitter work but, uh, but I, 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 you know, I feel like we're missing one of the kind of, it's, it's a small part and, and just kind of interesting. It's just a, a fun bit that along came tough and then also along came all the, uh, interesting blind jokes oh my that God. they would make. The blind jokes <laughs> in the show are amazing. And that's not to say that they're trying to make fun of, of tough, but it's all, <laughs> it's, they're just. I think at one point they're flying over looking for the hidden library, you know, through this desert. This, yeah. That spaceland. And then Toph's like, there it is. And everybody's like, what? And then she replies, that's what it'll sound like when you guys find it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking favorite blind jokes, um, I, I got to go with um, when they're in Bossing, say, putting up posters. And he's like, Sokka's like, all right, Toph, you better come with me. And she's like, why? You think I can't put up a poster? And she slaps it on the wall. It, it's 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 backwards and she's like it's upside down isn't it and i'm like i i that's yeah they have a lot of fun with it i don't think it's ever too mean usually because it's Toph the one who is the one who's making the jokes or or it's just like guys look it's over there and then Toph's like where guys (laughs) come on there's and it's just there's uh, a lot of there's a lot of fun like visual gags with it too like um Later in book yeah. two, when they're being given letters, and they're like, "Toph, your family wrote you this letter," and she just takes it and passes it to somebody. You yeah. know, it's like, "What the f- am I gonna do with it?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, it's kind of fun. It's kind of great. It's pretty great. Um, so yeah, I I think Toph comes into um the series uh with uh, probably one of the biggest impacts for a character. The show is not the same after her arrival. It is only better for it. And, um, but after that, we get another remarkable episode. We get Zuko alone. Yeah. Now this is the episode. I feel like kind of bringing it back to like one, 
also non-Fire Nation uh, kind of antagonists. Yes. Two, um, you get uh, a sense of like, you know, the, it, throughout the entire show, they always talk about like the war, mm-hmm. right? Or like, and though you never really see much of this war, you see it in, in kind of other moments, but like the Siege of the North, you see the kind of Navy and, and their ground forces kind of marching into the North Pole. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, you never see real, any real fighting. And even here, you don't see fighting, but it's just, it's always alluded to, you know, like these are soldiers that are fighting kind of closer by the front lines in this town, you know? Yeah, and, this and then is... they have to... This feels they, like they, this episode really felt like the first time you felt the war, like the the yeah. the toll it was taking on, on some people, specifically like this family that Zuko, you know, had had been brought to by by the youngest child uh, in them. I think, believe his name was Lee. Um, you know, they talk about how Lee's older brother is fighting off in the war, and and then this this kind of really dick like uh, I guess <laughs> captain of of this of this Earth Nation. Uh, crew and they're they're just warriors, right? They're not benders. He's the actual only bender. Yeah, he's, of them. I think yeah, he's the only one who bends. And he he's just really like he's he's just a terrible person. And you think like oh wow, like you know once again both sides, you know regardless is if you if you're Fire Nation or or Earth Nation, like they have they have the appropriate baddies, yeah. you know, like in in their places. Like this guy is not. You he's know, just a he's, he's just a big bully. Exactly. You know, and it's really and then he goes and tells them, like, this family, like, oh, your son was captured, by the way. You know what happens to people that were captured? They put him on the front lines with no weapons. Mm-hmm. And, like almost in, insinuating that like their son's gonna die. You know, like, yeah, he's, 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 he's just a goner. Yeah, he's kind of a prick. Um and and I like that um if this this episode is a real, you know, it's a western. It's Zuko rolls into town and deals with uh, you know these these people who are who who are kind of throwing their weight around, mm-hmm. um, and and in the end he has to kind of set off into the sunset. But um, it's it's great. You know, I like the the visuals behind it. It it really evokes that kind of, especially when you get to the final showdown. It gets it has this kind of like showdown at high noon kind of yeah. feel to it. Um, and of course, the the ultimate tragedy is that it, upon his self actualization of you know you know he's going to defend know like who, the people of this village and also know and, who and you just, are you know like own, yeah. own it uh, and then he is he is reviled for that um, and it kind of speaks to the tragedy of of who he is um, mm-hmm. but yeah a really great episode it's the only episode of the series that is dedicated specifically to one character. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then you know the series progresses. We get bitter. We get we get the chase, uh, which is a cool episode. I know you, I know you don't like it, but <laughs> uh, I, I rewatched it the other day, and I, I was just thinking like you know I I like the uh, the pursuit and just kind of like it really shows us this dynamic of of the kind of the teams and as they work but then i, I feel like the, the most important part about that episode is is kind of the finale of you know, course when he, you get all of them fighting together yeah it, it's, that's that's the most important part yeah and then uh, so we have that we have we have bitter work where uh ang learns earth bending and mm-hmm. uh zuko learns a big talent that will uh come into play later uh yeah. lightning re- reader yeah redirect yeah, the lightning like, redirections it um, is. Uh, it is very cool. I, I will say. I don't know if you noticed this, but it actually, in in an episode in, in season one, in book one, the storm when 
they're on the, the ship in the middle of, of the crazy rain and lightning, there's actually a, a spot or like a one kind of frame where Iroh is redirecting the lightning in the exact pose. Yeah, yeah it's it's pretty it's it's great uh uh early foreshadowing of things to come. Yeah. But but I mean, you know, continuing through that, uh I feel like the 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 bulk of of the kind of importance of book 2 is 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 the stories of Bossing Say or like or every not the the episode of Tales of Bossing Say, which is an uh, an interesting episode. Um but just as they enter the library, they lose Appa at, from this, you know, with the sandbenders. And then you really have this, this whole passage of time that, all right, they, they have this new information on, on how to stop the fire nation. The, you day, know, this idea of, the day of black sun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they need to bring this to the, to the earth kingdom King. Cause you know, they're, they're really the, the, the forefront of the war, right? It's, it's the earth kingdom is, is leading kind of not the revolution, but like, they're they're leading in the defense as they are the biggest kind of land the mass they have the most soldiers more right, so than, right. than any of the water tribe or 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 anything like that and so, so it got- is imperative that they get this information to the king but they are stopped by by all the propaganda and ongoings of of the Dai Li and the so, yeah, very bad Bossing Say as they call it, it you know it's uh, the impenetrable city but it is also. Uh, the uh, the city of walls and secrets and yeah and we get this very pseudo uh almost North Korea uh, inspired uh, city where you know no one mentions the war there is no war in Ba Sing Se and they are they have uh, a a guide who takes them through the city and only showed them shows them specific things. And while it's not touched on too much, you see that there is a real big, uh, class issue. Um, you know, in, in world building alone, bossing say you could, we could probably do an entire podcast just on bossing. Say, yeah, I, I just feel like the, the, the main important parts are, are the introduction to this new, you know, secondary antagonist. Yeah, almost. Even I would even say as a main antagonist at some point is um, uh, Long Fang, right? Yeah, the, the leader I, of I the Dai Li. I would call him a secondary, just especially because of what happens to him. Uh, yeah. down the line. Uh, but yeah. Now, now the Dai Li, they're like this kind of elite squad of what what they are known as, like the the cultural protectors of Ba Sing Se. But they're really. You know, they're they're big brother in a way, right? They, they, they're yeah. looking out for for everything, and well, they're trying to and, maintain the status quo. Uh, yeah, because Long Feng knows that if things changed, he might lose his power. Um, but yeah, what what it what we get from it is we get some very crazy mind control stuff uh, with with the character Jet coming back from season one or book one, and. Um, the you know whole underground uh, facilities, uh, we get maybe the saddest five minute stretch uh, of the series uh, in the episode Tales of Bossing Say with the tale of Iroh. Um, I don't know how many people out there have shed a tear at a cartoon. Uh, this one might do it. <laughs> yeah, um, it was it, it was both a tribute to Iroh's lost son, uh, Luten. I Luten and also uh, a solemn, uh, you know, a nice send off and goodbye for the passing of Mako, the yeah. voice actor of Iroh. Yeah, that's that was a pretty hefty um, 
loss for the show there, and that that is a particularly sad episode. But this, you know, we we won't talk about it for too long. But this is where I think Iroh really comes in as his his character. We get we get this episode that really shows the um the the depth of his uh of his character and the the regret that has see you know that that kind of defines him that is uh he led you know the the siege of bossing say in the past and that's what got his son killed and he's using all of the those life lessons in you know how he mentors zuko and that all kind of comes to a forefront in bossing say yeah not to mention i i feel like what's important in terms of the setup of bossing say is that it has this this kind of divi- this class division of uh, along with its walls. You know, Bossing Say is known for as like the, the city of the Great Walls. Actually, inspired by the Great Wall of China. Funny enough, um, makes sense. <laughs> that yeah, exactly. Um, but is that uh, it is the 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 city known for its large population of refugees that have come from like as a result of the war with the Fire Nation and people being displaced from their homes. Not unlike that of of what's going on in Europe right now with. With uh, with all the happenings in the Middle East and right, things right. of the sort, you know, like it's uh, so once again, kind of uh, the fact that a children's show, you know, includes these very, you know, real, very serious kind of socio political topics into into its programming and into its story is just really like once again, you got to hand it to the writers, the creators that like this this show has kind of transcended itself once again. Um, from from just the topical, oh, it's a cartoon animation. You know, it right. is. It was something much bigger, and still is. And then, you know, looking at, at the relationship as how you kind of see that that Zuko and, and Iroh kind of work their way through the system. Funny enough, like in the yeah. progression of the city, like they come in as refugees versus like Aang, they come in, you know, almost as saviors of the town or the town. <laughs> uh, of they're the they're kind of like celebrities. Yeah, and then and then they they kind of get their way right on up into like the the main outer inner ring or whatever one yeah. of the things so very higher up and you know it's um but even with that kind of status that they have they still can't get their way into an audience with the earth king it's very um yeah it's it literally takes them doing their own siege of the castle to get mm-hmm. an audience with the earth king and one of my favorites uh kind of action moments from this season of them just just crashing through the front gates and you get that you know some very cool uh earth bending stuff with Toph and Aang um uh of course this is right after the episode of Lake Laogai which I think is um notable for two reasons one we get this amazing confrontation between uh Iroh and Zuko uh mm-hmm. the I think Iroh's monologue in this is legendary. <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, it's it's time you start asking yourself the big questions. Uh, who are you? What do you want? Uh, yeah. he, he forces Zuko to confront, you know, who he truly is, and Zuko is forever changed after that moment. Um, yeah. And, of course, the other thing being uh, Jet's mind control uh, and... His eventual, uh, although it is only implied in the original series, his eventual death. Yeah, which uh, you know, you... for a kids show, uh, to to have a character who is very heavily implied to be killed um, is is pretty pretty intense. Yeah, 
I, I I feel like also the way it happened too, after like this kind of intense fight, you know, great animation, great like incredible movements and just, you know, kind of like as a as a sneaky move, you know, just very like oh god, it, it almost breaks your heart in a way. Cause it's like before everybody looked at Jet like, yeah, he was this kind of interesting antagonist for an episode in, in, in the first book, and then he kind of comes back as as kind of like a changed person, right? Like he wants to help people. Or in a way he like he wanted to help people before, but now it's like he wants to help people a little a little better. Well, I, I think guess. I think he in season one he he wanted to help people and he was willing to kill people to help people. Um, yeah. And I yeah his his whole uh, thing is you know he he's he's that flip side of there are bad people on the good side and yeah he I want to say he was the first major instance of of that yeah the, and and but so but when we get him in season two he's uh, he is actually. Funny enough, morally in the right, you know, he he wants to, you know, take care of Zuko and Iroh because because he knows their Fire Nation. He doesn't know exactly who they are, but mm-hmm. he, you know, he wants to uh, take them down. Um, he wants to expose them also, you know. He, go, like, he goes about it the wrong way, which, you know, again, it's that's the mark of a great antagonist, of a great you know, bad guy is that they're mm-hmm. doing the right thing. They're doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, when he, when he is gravely injured, it's pretty, it's pretty sad. You know, his, his freedom fighters stay with him. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then we never hear from him again. And while they never say he's dead in the series, uh, that is the implication Toph makes us know that he's definitely not okay. Yeah. Um, and then we get the Earth King. Uh, we we get uh, Azula and her uh, friends infiltrating uh, the Earth Kingdom and infiltrating Ba Sing Se, disguised as Kyoshi warriors. Mm-hmm. And then we get the finale, uh, the Guru and Crossroads of Destiny, um, which I think we can kind of sum this stuff up pretty good. The Guru, it's it's a very it's a- Ang's opportunity to learn the avatar state in its true sense. Yes. So like he, he has a better understanding and, and kind of control of it um, versus right. like in, in the, the first part of, of the book, like where it, it was supposed to be this easy. Oh, you could just enter in and out. Like, no, it then becomes this complex thing that takes its uh, ideas from, from Buddhism and, and, and just other kind it's, of it's very Eastern e- thought. Yeah. Like, Eastern spirituality, you know, the ideas of chakras um, and that, that would go on to, uh, later be explored not to the best effect in in Legend of Korra, but yeah, it's a really cool idea of um, behind the Guru, and then Crossroads is kind of our big spectacle. Uh, cli- the finale of of the show. It's where it's you know Azula and her team in, has infiltrated Bossing Say and has kind of taken control of of the Dai Li and and also. Now they're they're in position to kind of like kind of out the Earth King and and really kind of jump on Team Avatar and, uh, and their plans for the future. Right? Yeah, they learn about the uh, the the com the uh, not the comet the uh, the eclipse and they and you know they capture they capture Zuko and mm-hmm. they capture Katara and I I think I, I mentioned this to you. Um, I've always seen the Guru. And Crossroads of Destiny together as the Empire Strikes Back of yeah. Avatar. You have Aang 
learning from a wise mentor how to unlock a certain power. He finds out his friends are in danger and gives up his training early to go save them, only to have his ass thoroughly handed to him and barely escapes with his life. Um, yeah. I think the one of the big things from this is uh, Zuko's ultimate failure of his character arc. Um, you know, he's given the opportunity to change, and uh, he just, you know... His his daddy issues come roaring back to life. Yeah, with the promises after he's, it seems like he's finally moved on too. You know, like he had his kind of whole transformations, bedtime sleep. You know, in dreams that like yeah. everything was going to be fine, and then you know temptation hit him again, yeah. and, and then he kind of went right back into uh, his old ways. Um, and and that and and it kind of leaves us, you know, going into to book three, like you know. Team Avatar has kind of faced their their worst defeat ever. The Earth Kingdom has almost fallen and kind of come under control of of the Fire Nation. They've kind of they 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 know they've lost some friends. The Kyoshi Warriors uh, are have something happened to them. You know they're not around anymore to help the team, um, or at least they've been kind of ambushed and right. something happened to them along the way. It, it uh, is and unclear Aang, at the at the at this point in the show. Exactly, uh, Aang's Avatar state. Might have been damaged. He might have almost been killed in the Avatar State. Though. I think. I think technically, Tatara really run in there. Yeah, I think technically by by the uh, by the end of book two, he did die and was brought mm-hmm. back. Um, yeah, thanks but, to Katara's mastery in in waterbending, which we've kind of mulled over a bit. Like you know, I want to just quickly add that over the the course of after she received her training in. The waterbending master, you know, we see how awesome and amazing her skills have become by the end of book two, you know, and then also into book three. Like she has really come into her own as becoming a waterbending master. And then and Sokka as well, uh, outside of, you know, providing comedic relief, um, just in terms of like how he does with strategy, also kind of facing his own daddy issues in a way, but more (laughs) of like just kind of showing that his dad, like I am like really great. And his dad also becoming incredibly proud of him. And just like, you know, we get that small in- instance. Uh, yeah. Well. When, when he is not high on cactus juice, uh, exactly. He, he proves himself to be a tactical, pr- pretty much a tactical genius. Um, yeah. and, it, and it, I think it, it plays its way into, into book three. Book you three, know, like I think this- is where he really comes into his own, um, as a, as a serious, you know, contributing then, member of the group. And then we also can't forget one of the, the greatest moments of, of book two is, is Toph becomes captured as her parents want ah, her to come back ah, and yes. then becomes the development of one of the greatest techniques known to, to bending is, is metal bending uh, a derivative of a derivative. Uh, I think that's the word. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it uh, is derived from earth metal bending. B- yeah. Earth bending. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. That's one of the best moments of the season. It is. I love it. Cause Toph is kind of a... She doesn't have much of a character arc across the series. And, you know, I think you could say one of her one of her character flaws is that she's kind of full of herself. But, yeah. it's, but it is one of the pure delights of her character. And I love that this is just kind of... No, I am as amazing and badass as I, as I think I am. And, mm. no, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I like the ending of this season because it is what I consider a false darkest hour. Um, mm-hmm. because even though everything has kind of gone to hell, 
they still have the Day of Black Sun. And until we get to that, we haven't reached the darkest point. Um, but we're going into book three, um, which has some of the darkest moments of this series. Um, yeah. The, the team has finally, you know, Aang in a way has finally mastered earthbending, has dealt with, I wouldn't say master, but he knows it. He, you know, he, he knows and, it enough to, to you know, yeah. make use of it. Exactly. And now is there, you know, where Aang has awoken several months later, was it months or weeks? It's it's been I think like a couple of weeks enough yeah. that he oh. has grown hair. Yeah, Aang is is full of uh, you know this one from this bald monk to he this black haired kid, you know his tattoo almost covered and he's like whoa what like he's on a Fire Nation ship he doesn't know what's happening. I and love then, it. It's such a good status quo shakeup. Yeah, it's it's you know everyone's on the run. He's he doesn't even look like himself anymore. Uh, yeah, and then meanwhile, also talk about a really like while the, the the show was airing, you know, like between books two and three, I think I maybe had the most anxiety of like, oh my god, we're finally here, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's finally about to be the you know the Fire Nation. Then we went and starts. I'm like, Aang has hair, probably one of the coolest like character costume <laughs> like like time skip like moments ever. Like, yeah, I I didn't. It's not that I didn't watch too much anime. I I watched a few, but like I never got into Naruto or like. One Piece or things like that. Things were like time skips were super evident, right? Uh, maybe Dragon Ball uh, from time. Yeah, to time. yeah. I mean, I mean, and you didn't kind of get that idea of like drastically changing a character's um, uh, image uh, across uh, you know episodes in in American television, mainly because there's the chance you you run the risk of hurting the marketing, uh, the marketability yeah. of it, because you know, but. I think it's great. I've always loved the fact that the show uh, progressively shows characters' hair getting longer. And you see Zuko specifically. Zuko. Uh, you see it. You see with Aang. Uh, everyone as actually. I think you know, like Sokka. For for three uh, two thirds of the show, he is. Uh, he's kind of got that. Uh, the his sides of his head shaved, but from book three mm-hmm. on his hair is, is Zaka Sokka made it cool before Skrillex did. You remember <laughs> right, that? Yeah. Yeah. He's got the, uh, he, he is the origin originator of that look, uh, just after, but, just after the Pokemon Pidgeotto. But, uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I love the awakening. It's a good shakeup of the formula. Zuko is back home. He's, he's got May as a girlfriend. He is a far cry from where we saw him last. Everything has changed. Uh, Especially, I feel like that the, the specific thing is that everyone is now under the impression that the avatar is dead. Yes. And that Zuko is has been triumphant. Zuko or well, Azula uh, tactically tells Ozai, voiced by Mark Hamill, uh, mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker himself, that uh, that Zuko killed the Avatar. Of course, under the guise that she knows he's probably alive, and she is just setting Zuko up for another bit of manipulation. Yeah, uh, because she is literally the worst. I I'd agree <laughs> with that, but um. So moving on from the awakening, we get some good episodes. We get uh, the painted lady. It's kind of this like environmental friendly eco terrorism episode. Um, yeah. We get Sokka's master, which I know you really like. I I think it does an interesting job of you know allowing you know finally giving 
Sokka his his time to shine. I know yeah. that there's a lot of complaints about some of the editing and like what are the timing like how what is the time? It is by one day. <laughs> Does it? Do, do, at least it shows that it may have looked like it's it's a day, but I feel like it's, there's a little there's a caveat to it. It's definitely but it's a also day. how how is someone like you know Katara or Aang supposed to become a real water bending master with only a day or two of training? Yeah, either, no, I, right? it's it's fine. It's it, for the, for the medium that it is in the show. It's it's fine. Yeah. It's a cool thing. We get Robert Patrick as Master Pian Dao, and yeah. uh, we get uh, Sokka's cool space sword, and yeah. uh, he kind of this. Uh, sneaky little uh, tag of uh, the white the lotus. White lotus, which I don't think we've mentioned at all in the entire thing of this, but it, it's always been sprinkled into us as as Iroh's this, this drip always fed. talking about. Yeah, he's always talking about Pai Show in, in the series, and Pai Show plays a very very particular role, especially with the the white lotus tile in Pai Show. Right, you know, and we we get a little bit of sprinkle of it in. In uh, not, I think it's the desert episode or, or one of these episodes where right. they're finding, <laughs> seeking refuge out out into Bossing Say. Um, but anyways, and I think one of the next most important episodes uh, in creating um, interesting backstory and, and, and world building is also the Puppet Master. The Puppet right? Master. But before we go on that, because I love the Puppet Master, but I want to talk about the beach for two reasons. Oh, three, this is the, three reasons. The Four reasons. <laughs> One, um, we get some excellent, excellent uh, character-defining moments between the uh, the firebending Team Zuko, if you will, uh, him, Azula, Tylee, and May. They get their beach mm-hmm. vacation. Uh, it's kind of like the Breakfast Club episode. We get some very funny moments of Azula having to act like a normal teenager. Oh, God. Uh, they are delightfully awkward. Um, it's pretty great. We get, for a Nickelodeon show, a bizarre amount of fan service, um, which which for this type of show, you know, anime fan service is, is pretty common, and, you know, a show can live or die by it. But uh, for a Nickelodeon show... It was definitely unique that you didn't kind of get you didn't get that type of aspect of anime uh, mm-hmm. coming over to the American side. I think there would probably there was a lot of um, hesitation from the production from the executives of having an episode like that with some more revealing outfits for the characters. Um, but but overall, I think it, it it's a good kind of homage to the staple of the beach episode in most anime series. Yeah. Um. But then my personal favorite uh aspect of the beach is our first real aside from his introduction, our first real uh look at Combustion Man. Uh Combustion, Combustion Man, Man, who I think has one of the coolest like. Derived from another bending, bending styles. Yeah. Uh, obviously, as his name suggests, he creates explosions with his mind. Um, I think the he the when he first approaches the group, it is this great tense moment of what's about to happen because at that point you don't know what his power is. Uh, excuse me, he's got uh, the uh, the. I love that all the music kind of drops out and it's just diegetic sound when they're fighting. Um, 
the sound design of his attack is incredible. Uh, it is this this cool like popping kind of crackling noise before this really loud explosion. Yeah, uh, it really sells the power behind him, and he's not someone that they can ha- that in the middle of fighting him they can't really use tactics too much because they're too much on the defense to even think about it. Yeah. And I like it. It's just an enemy they have to run away from. It's just a force of nature. I'll um, tell you what this show has really done well, and it, and it is in terms of, like, this world, this idea, this bending as, as like, a form. You know, they started out with, with just earth, water, fire, and, and air, right? Right. You know, and it's just how much more can you go from that? But then I love how they've always kind of mixed them up or kind of changed things. You know, like, we kind of had it a little early on, right? You know, with in terms of water bending, like water also includes ice in the, in the North Pole. What are they surrounded by? Like ice and these glaciers, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that, that works its way into it. You know, it's the, the kind of science is around. And then you, you when you have uh, in book two that they go into this the swamp. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, these these swamp guys, these dwellers, if you will. I, for, I forget the, this guy's name, the one that's in like the giant oh, uh, seaweed monster Poe or something. Yeah, like he's he's bending the water around the vines and, mm-hmm. and also just kind of the mud. And then you, you will see later on that Aang and Toph are bending both like water and mud mixed together, like outside of Bossing Say, yeah. you know, and then we get some real hardcore things. You know, you get lightning, like they can bend lightning at it like firebenders. It's it's derived from firebending. And um, uh, you get you get the, the combustion bending. The combustion bedding, metal bending, and then, and then let's let's move on to on that topic. Let's move on to the puppet master, which introduces fucking excuse my language, <laughs> but blood bending. Oh Are my you kidding me? So this is like, what I was talking about before when I said there is an enemy in the series that is not Fire Nation that is maybe the creepiest and most like I feel like one of the most intense bad guys, and it's Hama, uh, mm-hmm. and I love that she is. I think for this particular series the only water bending water tribe uh bad guy and she is hands down creepier than fire lord ozai than azula um because she was an innocent person and just got yeah. corrupted by by her punishment and turned into this monster oh my god it's it's and- ah, it's it, that i love the puppet master it is a freaky episode well, it, first of all, it reminds us about kind of like the not the terrors of bending, but it's like, you know, Hama introduces blood bending as an idea of like, oh, we have to make sure we use our bending in unique ways when we're not surrounded by the things that we use. And she's like, oh, yeah, like I, I use my from... sweat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She pulls water from like the grass and like a tree around her. It's like really like, you know, cuts it like not cups it, but like shrivels them up into to dead things like husks like, oh. yeah it's it's, it's it's super powerful and super amazing but it's also like you kind of see the damage around her as like you see the dead grass or it loses its color and everything i'm just like ah oh, like you know kind of a blessing and a curse like it's in a way it's freaky it's you know what i love about this episode is mm-hmm. i i feel like a lot of times with some of these like you know uh villain of the week episodes they kind of they get their comeuppance and then everyone kind of mm-hmm. moves forward uh, more or less having maintained the status quo. But mm-hmm. Hama, when she, even when she gets arrested at the end, the damage is done. You know, Katara can't unlearn bloodbending. Mm-hmm. And Hama 
she succeeds. Her goal was to pass on bloodbending so that way her legacy would live on. And she succeeds. Katara is forever cursed with that knowledge. And mm-hmm. it is, it's kind of a downer ending where you go like, oh my God, like. I'll tell you what though. And maybe this is a little like, why are you crying about it in the end? Because, you know, she does cry about it. And she feels like awful about it, that she had to use that, that power to kind of free herself. But a couple of episodes later, she ends up using it again. Well, she for personal reasons. I will say and we, we'll get to the Southern Raiders. I know we're, we're, we're pushing time pretty, pretty long now. But um, so I think we can kind of skip ahead a bit. Um, uh, we when we get to her thing, I, I, I feel like there's good reason why she uses it. And it's and it's tied to character motivations but um Mm -hmm. let's skip ahead because we are kind of pushing for time a bit um so we get uh the day of black sun which you know is the day of the eclipse we get this amazing cool return of a bunch of awesome characters from the past two seasons i was gonna say like especially in part one you have all these great guys showing up book one excuse me um but i mean yeah you, you you move on from that and and just the arcs that appear during this this I guess a pivotal event, you know, like Zuko realizes that he doesn't want to be a part of this. Like he, that he finally he's, he's confronts his father and in, in a very fantastic scene, he, he redirects lightning right back at him. Um, yeah. But I love, though, yeah, go ahead. I'm saying, and, and though we haven't spoken about uh, Iroh's situation in part in book three, you know, during this entire time, he's actually been locked up, taken in as a fire nation prisoner and he's used his time wisely to kind of bulk up, remain powerful, <laughs> gets, and then escape from prison. Yeah, he escapes, and and because you know he's never been really a part of 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 the kind of same ideas that his brother and the rest of the family yeah, and he, maybe most of the Fire Nation army has had. He's he's always been the uh, you well, know he, very he, worldly. He learned early enough that 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 kind of uh, mentality no good can come from war. Right. I mean, he learned the hard way. But, uh, but yeah, we get Haru back, we get some of the Freedom Fighters back, we get the Boulder, we get the guys from the Swamp, and it's this great siege, Sokka ends up leading the charge into the Fire Nation capital, um, they are on the cusp of winning, but because Azula found out about the Eclipse uh, back in the end of Season 2, or Book 2, excuse me, um, there the Fire Nation is able to kind of hold up, hold up in a, uh, a bunker... And mm-hmm. the the big what I consider the true darkest uh, the 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 lowest point the darkest hour of Team Avatar is when they are forced to retreat, knowing that they just won't make it in time, and we and that they have to leave all their friends behind as that's, prisoners. That's a pretty that's a pretty sad moment in the series, you know, like you know. Aang thanking them for their sacrifice and just having to run because um, because they have to survive another day. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's it's fantastic. I think, you know, it sets up the final stretch of the show. Zuko is officially uh, left the Fire Nation side. Uh, he is on his way at the end of the episode to join the Avatar. and And nothing's the same after that. <laughs> Like yeah, you, you can say that a lot about a, about several episodes in this uh, yeah. series, but it's cool. We get um, we move on. We kind of so coming next, you know, we kind of get Zuko. He kind of wants to join Team Avatar, right? Because uh, Aang at this point still hasn't learned firebending, and Zuko wanting to kind of make amends 
uh, said, well, the best thing he could offer the team is to, you know, one, apologize. And then two, <laughs> I can also teach earthbending, but has met with fire a bending. lot of backlash. Uh, excuse me, firebending. I don't know where that other bit came from. <laughs> um, firebending. And, and then he's met with the backlash of like, are you kidding me? You who've been after us for two seasons and, and 40 odd episodes, you know, you're you're trying to. You're trying to join us now after all the betrayal that you've done. It How takes are we supposed to trust it, you? it takes a lot of work. It, it it takes him as much as almost dying at the hands of a combustion man uh, to prove himself loyal to uh, to the team. And even then, he he mm-hmm. still has to put in the work to earn their trust. Um, I, again, we get the the combustion man back again. I think again he's he's super cool in this. We get the great moment of Sokka hitting him uh, in the head with the boomerang, which mm-hmm. we learned in a previous episode is kind of his weakness, and which uh, then leads to one of the more violent deaths in the series, where he just blows yeah. himself up. It was pretty sad. Uh, well, eh, I thought it was epic, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's rad. But uh, yeah. But and yeah. then we'll later get get the 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 real teaching of firebending. You know, Zuka realizes his powers aren't working for whatever reason. It's, he gets it's mainly because of the performance the, issues. It happens to everyone. It yeah, ha- exactly. Yeah, it's not something to be embarrassed about. <laughs> so, so we get the first in a series of of things called you know the Zuko vacations, the, field, the Zuko trips, field trips with Zuko. Exactly. So we so, get we get yeah the firebending masters. Very yeah. cool. I feel I do you think the the dance of the dragons is uh, a reference to fusion from Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> I mean, I I'd like to think that it it it's fun knowing both kind of like things and then just putting them together. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Um, That's a fun episode because it it is a little different than the others. You get uh it's kind of like Indiana Jones at parts. Um You know, I feel I feel like there's a bit that we missed earlier when talking about um the the there's an episode that happened before the day of black sun the avatar and the uh, the the fire avatar and the, and the fire, fire lord. lord yeah and and you know though Zuko and, and Aang have had a, their own relationship there's also a relationship between them that kind of transcends themselves is that avatar Roku is is Zuko's great grandfather yeah you know and so when when you look or I guess grandfather um I don't know about great grandfather no it's it. you know, it's his. Uh, oh, I, th- I think it was about it's, it, it, his mom's either father or grandfather. He's a descendant of Avatar Roku. <laughs> exactly, but also Aang is of Avatar Roku. So he is they the already have reincarnation this, of him. Exactly. So they already have like this this kind of relationship that they both discovered at the same time during that episode. You and know, I were, think I think that lends itself to being that why and also Aang's just friendly disposition. But I think that's what lends Aang to really being able to easily accept uh, Zuko uh, mm-hmm. as one of the team. Sokka being, a, you know, slightly less trusting, but still just kind of one of the guys. He and Zuko have a fun prison break uh, two-episode two story. Uh, but Katara being the one who is the most untrusting. She, she, she feels incredibly betrayed by Zuko after she offered to help him and heal him. Within w- w- For good reason. She is totally yeah. uh, validated in that in that mistrust. But that's like you said, it leads to um, them tracking down the man who killed her mother. Yeah. And uh, I, I really like uh, the Southern Raiders because it's... Uh, uh, you know, we get the reintroduction of bloodbending. We kind of see Katara... Teetering on the edge of becoming the monster Hama wanted uh, this, her to be. 
this episode really gives also birth to a lot of other memes that like, oh, but my mother being dead is yeah, like the, the worst <laughs> thing ever. Katara. Screw your turmoil, your turmoil. Like, this is the most important thing. Katara's so. uh, one-upsmanship of pain is a pretty funny uh, meme. Uh, but yeah, so we get our field trips with Zuko. He puts in the work. He uh, eventually gains everyone's trust. And then we get a really funny recap in the Ember Island Players. Mm-hmm. Really funny. Uh, one of the best recap episodes for any show. Um, and then finally, we arrive at the big day, Sozin's Comet. Like a four-part special it is, about it is feature the finale show. <laughs> I am pre- yeah. I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, when it first aired, they aired it as a movie, basically. And just all four back to back to back to back well it's like you still got like the inner cuts in between it so they part one part two part three part four. it's kind of like a, a tarantino movie in that in that respect right you know and it, it's funny that like <laughs> the hey flate was then later re-released with extended <laughs> yeah. version as like a mini series but um, but sozin's comet's cool uh i don't know it's probably not my favorite of the series but it's it's such a cool end to the series um everyone plays a really pivotal role in it um, literally everyone too it's yeah like they, they, they give everyone a book ending in a way like you you see the uh all the original masters jong jong um the the what uh was it? The, the t-1000 yeah pion i forget boomy <laughs> i like like all these guys like and and their role as the white lotus organization taking to, back like, boss and say i love the shot yeah. of iroh standing and like breathing in outside the walls and the fire is raising and falling with his breath yeah. um it's very cool uh Sokka, Toph, and Suki go and take down the uh airship fleet yeah and then Aang kind of goes on his own incredible journey uh one unlocking a new uh kind of avatar bending art form uh known as energy bending yes um which will play a role in, in kind of the demise of the Fire Lord. Yeah. The, 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 the almighty bad guy. I, pers- bad I personally bad. don't mind it. I know there's a lot of people who who don't like the energy bending because it does. The episode it's introduced is the episode that it comes into play. It never really, uh, it never really comes up before that. So I know for a lot of people it kind of feels like this cop-out. Um I say it's a kid show, and they were never going to have the main character, a twelve-year-old like boy, slaughter murder, a, a man. murder a man. Yeah. Uh, so I say, remember what show you're watching when you when you level that criticism at the show. But and, and then you also have the amazing fight where now Katara's kind of paying back Zuko and and help, him helping her. Like she's going to help him take down Azula and. I, uh, so Take yeah, back the Fire Nation. The fight between Zuko and Azula is great, not because of its spectacle. And while the spectacle is great, uh, I think the choreography and the animation in that fight is wonderful. But mm-hmm. it is not played like okay. So like Aang versus uh, Ozai is played like an action scene, um, especially mm-hmm. when Aang unlocks the Avatar state. But Zuko and Azula, that fight, it plays out like a tragedy. And it is yeah. sad. By the end of it, when Azula loses, it is not a happy moment. It is not like mm-hmm. it shows such restraint on uh, Di Martino and uh, Konietzko's part that they they understand that this is not a happy moment for Zuko. He is not glad that he has had to, uh, you know, put his little sister in her place and and 
forcibly take away everything she's ever had. Uh, it, it, it is a sad moment, and it, you for that split second, you finally see Azula as she is, a scared girl uh, who has had the weight of the world put on her shoulders. Yeah, and I, you know, I guess in that, in that, and you kind of, we kind of come to the end of the show, and we realize this is not just the, the show for kids, or just sort of some regular cartoon. It is, you know, I, we've said it a bunch of times throughout the last two hours, but we'll, I'll say it again. You know, it it is a show with with complex and and deep characters that go through these these kind of incredible arcs you know and and maybe there's they're stuck within the confines of of a 20 minute 25 minute you know runtime of of kids show and but it, it just has exemplified that it, it really can be more than just it all than just that they all just feel so real and so human um yeah and i think that you know just there was such a care in the crafting of the world and the people that you know Nothing. Nothing is is basic, and I think that's why even you know almost two decades out, it's still seen as one of the best you know animated shows or re- or shows in general uh, ever made. I think that's why it is so loved is because it. I feel like they could have if they wanted to. They could, this show could have been just as commercially successful and not tried as hard. Because uh, I know shows that have been very popular with half the effort, mm-hmm. but there is such a quality and a care put into everything that I think that's what you know it, it raises it above so many other shows. So funny, you know, we think about how incredible and and great that they they've been able to accomplish a show like this. One for the time period, two for its format, and and just like kind of like all around, like the, the kind of quality that this show exemplifies. But then, you know, I don't want to go deep into it, but you take a, a dive into like why the movie was just a failure. You know, <laughs> there was an adaptation, how it, it did not. And it, there's a lot of things you could put to blame on that, but it, it's, there's a sense of like, why, why wasn't it su- as successful? And, and there's a lot of reasons, you know, between we the could casting, do an entire the writing, podcast on on M Night's right. mess of a movie. But you know, with with the shows now being re-released on Netflix, you know, and distributed now they're available for I would say almost everyone has Netflix subscription or access to a, or no, a subscription yeah, to know no someone who does. Exactly. You know, and then with the news that they're making a new adaptation of Avatar as as another like a Netflix series, which at first seemed interesting. Like where where could they go wrong? Where, what mistakes could they make that, well, it's, you know, it's, and what things that could they do better? It's funny you say, what mistakes could they make? Because, because listen, when they announced... They, ha- they, have, they have a two-hour movie that they could look at to see what I mistakes will, they could I will make. tell you this. When they first announced the live-action uh, adaptation for Netflix, I was hesitant because I was like, we've been down this road, and I know where it's going to lead, and it's only going to disappoint in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they said, oh... Uh, DiMartino and Konietzko are involved. They're running the show. And I said, okay, well, with that being the case, the driving force of forces of what made the original series so good are behind it. We could have something here. We This could be yeah. great. Well, I mean, it was nice while it lasted. <laughs> yeah, because then came the news, unfortunately, that they had left the project due to uh, 
creative differences, which is the saddest story in all of uh, the realm of, I don't want to say Hollywood, but like just that, that kind of ecosystem over there. It's always creative differences, man. You know, so I, you know, creative differences uh, have led to a lot of good and bad things in film and television. Um, But I feel like this was a series where if, if the reports are to be believed, Netflix the executives there, I don't think they understood what made Avatar so great. I don't think they realized just how integral certain aspects of Avatar were to its overall success. Yeah. You you hear things like they wanted, and, and I don't know if any of this is true, but they wanted to age up the characters into like their late teens, early adulthood. They wanted, they wanted to add more violence, more, a little more romance. Well, they like. uh, see. I've heard romance. I've heard they wanted to add like a lot more sex involved. They wanted this to probably be Game of Thrones, um, which I almost understand because Game of Thrones is is cool, is really good. We'll talk about it later, but <laughs> that's not Avatar. That was never yeah. part of Avatar's winning formula, and I, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's. Well, and it's funny that you know I like that you said use the phrase like formula because then it comes into like the, the thought of like, all right, well, do you do what just already works, or do you try something new that that might also work? And and you know like as, you know I would I would say you know in a way we're diehard fans, right? We 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 are attached to the show we just through nostalgia. Sp- and we just we, spoke we about the show for, We just spoke about the show for two hours. I think it's safe <laughs> to say we we have some pretty strong feelings about this series. Yeah. Versus maybe they also want to attract like a new audience, a more modern audience, and like so they want to try a formula that would that works for this time and age. In which you know who's to say what's work. What but works, but but, but that's but you know that's understandable. But at the same time. We know it would work because <laughs> because it was the number one trending series on Netflix for for like I think months. But do you want to be able to predict everything that's going to happen and I, just see the same show in live action? Is the thing do you I, want the same exact thing but with real people and animation? Kind of. Or <laughs> <laughs> listen, there's some stuff where I say adaptation's good. There are, there is room in the story of Avatar The Last Airbender where they could have changed things and I would have been okay with. For example, mm-hmm. a lot of book one. I think there's a lot of fat you can trim out of that. The The Great Divide is, I think, widely considered the worst episode because it doesn't really do anything. I'll, I'll tell you what that, that the show could do, and I, I was talking to you about this the other day. It's it's just the, the idea of they were locked in a child children's television show format of 20 something minutes. They had to deal with something that we referred to as economic storytelling. Right. And, you know, things just tended to happen to be, you know, dialogue was a lot more direct, you know, and everybody kind of had to put out their feelings and, and things without. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of very direct a lot of cadence, a lot of yeah. very direct dialogue just to save time. Cause when you got 20 minutes, you know, we can't you, have, you gotta, you gotta make the use of it. And and I understand that. And and that is where I see the biggest improvement that, that could be made. They, they can really take their time. If they're going to make this 10 episodes, an hour long each or something, you know, something along the, 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 the series format, the most programs right, right. have these days, you know, like they, they, that would, would help tenfold. Yeah, you know, like alone. I, I, I think so, I think it had the potential. Like, there's certain aspects. Yeah, you can change. You can take out episodes that that 
probably don't need to be there. You could broaden episodes that you that could have stood to be longer and benefited from uh, more time to flesh out their ideas. You mm-hmm. could do things like putting the idea of energy bending at the beginning of the series. That mm-hmm. way it doesn't feel like it comes out of nowhere at the very end. Mm-hmm. There's a lot you could do. But doing things like aging up the characters when their ages are so integral to their characterization, uh, Mm -hmm. increasing the violence when the show is honestly violent enough as is, uh, adding sex where sex wasn't even a part of the show. I mean, obviously it's marketed towards children, but like there's nothing about the show that would have benefited from, from having, you know, like sex scenes and stuff. There's already tons of romance in the series. Um, You know, I I even hear stuff like they wanted to cast a bunch of white actors, and this is ground we've covered before. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just, uh, you know, I don't want to see, and I'm sure we all don't want to see failure happen again or ju- again. I just don't want to be hurt again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, with all that being said, hopefully it it comes out and it's not the worst thing in the world. I'm very hopeful about these things. You I know am, me. Yeah. I, I try to, I try to remain, I was even hopeful about new mutants. I really was. And though I don't agree it was complete dog. Sh- <laughs> you know, like that's what I'm hoping. I don't want to, I don't, I, I hope that this, this, you know, the avatar movie was dog. Sh- Please don't let the show be dog. Sh- yeah. I mean, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I hope it's good, but at the end of the day, even if it sucks, we still have the original series. We still have Legend of Korra. And I while Legend of Korra will get to another day, it's definitely not as good. I think it's still uh, a fantastic series, uh, except for season two. And um, don't worry, we'll, we'll get there. I have a lot to say about season two of Korra. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you still have the original run of Avatar. Uh, it's one of the best series. You can't go wrong with it. Um, and on that, I, I mean, I, is there anything, I know we had talked about our, kind of our favorite little, like, bending little niches, uh, little, little niche uses of the bending. I, for one, like the Dai Li's, uh, use of their gloves and shoes as handcuffs, as bullets, as, like, they kind of, they can be like Spider-Man with it, where they're crawling on the yeah. walls. yeah. So I, I'm always been privy to to the earthbending styles. Uh, so when Toph Same. came out and and into uh, a metal bending suit uh, during the Susan's <laughs> comment, um, I thought that was incredible. Uh, that like, is a really rad scene. Yeah, way to come into your own with just, your own like style and and everything. Like just amazing. Yeah, um, we, yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. We we get to see like the eventual the evolution of that. Uh, later in Korra, but but for that first moment where she kind of rolls into it and is slapping it, people to the wall, yeah. That's, just a testament to how badass her character is. Yeah. Toph's um, maybe the best character in the series. <laughs> <laughs> but I think on, on that note, you know, in reality, Zach, people always have this podcast if they want to come back and listen to it. It's true. We'll always be here. We're never going to stop. You can't oh. make us. <laughs> Um, but on that note, uh, I want to thank the listeners for their time. Yes, I want to thank, thank you. you, Zach, 
for joining me. Thank you as well, um, Chris. Yeah, thank you to the listeners. We appreciate your ears. Uh, you can follow Script or Screen uh, at Script or Screen on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.